This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger. You know, at this point, ladies, we are several weeks, several episodes into the new format for Equipping Eve, and I would love to hear your feedback if you haven't already provided it. Um, Go visit equippingeve.com or send me an email, equippingeve at gmail.com, and let me know what you think of these shorter episodes, of the fact that they're airing weekly now. I'd love to know your thoughts. Um, I have my opinion, but I'd like to know yours. Unless it's unfavorable, in which case, just don't even bother. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. With that, ladies, we are going to continue today with our study through the Gospel of John. If you're tuning in for the first time, if you've missed any of these, I encourage you to go back and listen to the others. And just know, ladies, that this is very high level. We're not going in word by word, verse by verse. It's none of that. I just want us to get a flavor for this amazing gospel, and this is kind of a fun way to do it. But I do encourage you to read the text before we fly through it here so quickly uh, on the show. So um, hit pause, go read chapters 7 and 8 of John, and then come back and hit play, and we'll go ahead and jump into it. All right, ladies, John chapter 7. So probably your Bibles have a little subheading here. It's Jesus at the Feast of Booths in my Bible. And just a reminder, I'm working from the ESV currently. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. After what? Well, let's remember back to our study of John chapter 6, where Jesus was speaking. He was giving hard words to those who were listening to him. He was saying that only God can save a person. Whoever God calls will be saved. Jesus will not lose, not one of those whom the Father gives him. Jesus said that he was the bread of life. He said in verse 58 of chapter 6, this is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And he spoke some very difficult words to the people. After this, John chapter 7, verse 1, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. And we've already seen that a couple of times in past studies where the Jews were ready to kill him for making himself equal with God. He was proclaiming his deity, and the Jews did not like that. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. And I wanted to pause there, ladies, and say not even Jesus' brothers believed in him. Now turn very quickly, and we don't do a lot of cross referencing because of time, but I want us to see this in Galatians chapter 1, ladies, verse 18. Paul is writing about his 
conversion and and his call from God in verse 18 of Galatians 1. He says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, it's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. James, the Lord's brother, now in Galatians, we see that he is indeed a believer. He is a follower at this point. He is converted. So when did this happen? He would have been converted, ladies, after Jesus' resurrection. If you flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, Paul is writing, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So, of course, we can speculate there that he was converted following the Lord's resurrection. So, at the very least, James, the brother of Jesus, was converted. If you turn to Acts 15, we're working backwards here because that's the order that I wrote them down in my notes. And if you uh, want to take a little extra time, ladies, you can look at Acts 15, where um, it's speaking about the Jerusalem Council, and you actually see James there as the head of the Jerusalem Council. So James, uh, the brother of Jesus, not only was converted, he uh, became prominent within the early church. And so that's all really significant. And as I uh, was reading through John here, it's just so striking because we know the end of the story, right? We know more details than John even, uh, you know, we know more details than John knew at the time that this was happening. Um, And so we can uh, consider all of that. Verse five, not even his brothers believed in him, but James at least did eventually believe in his brother as savior and Lord. So then we see that Jesus goes up separately. He knows how his father's plan must be carried out. And so he goes up to the feast separately. Verse 13, uh, actually, no, let's let's go back uh, to verse 11. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering among him about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And so we're seeing fear of man there already because the Jews had their man-made rules. No one wanted to be put out of the synagogue. And so we're just not going to talk about Jesus publicly, period, because we don't want to get in trouble for that. Keep reading, ladies. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? Nobody taught like Jesus. Jesus taught like no one else because his teaching was from God. He is God. And we see this elsewhere, don't we? And Jesus, his words and his delivery was so striking. And man, I wish there had been video cameras there, but we'll get to hear him teach for eternity. So I am personally really looking forward to that. And it's just so striking to me that in the midst of all that's going on and some people saying he's good, some people saying he's bad, and all of this confusion and everything that's happening, the Jews therefore marveled. He's never studied, and yet here he speaks so much truth. 
going on, Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. This is from God. I'm not, I didn't make this stuff up. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? And this makes me laugh because it's like, really? We've seen it, what, at least twice that I can remember off the top of my head where the Jews are seeking to kill him. And we just saw in verse one that he couldn't be in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So plenty of people are seeking to kill Jesus. And yet the crowd is like, wait, what are you talking about? No one's trying to kill you. And in these verses, ladies, we just see Jesus reiterating over and over again that his teaching is from God. He is divine. This is from above. This is from heaven. This is truth. We're going to jump ahead now, ladies, and look at verse 37, starting there. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Think of how much insight John gives us there into how this all worked, right? And the, the giving of the Holy Spirit as, as indwelling us after Christ was glorified. And it's just marvelous to see John reflecting back and inserting what he's learned and what he knows now that he's seen all of this happen and putting this back so that we can understand as readers. And think about this too, where Jesus is talking about um, out of his heart will flow waters, rivers of living water. And of course, that um, references back to the Old Testament, but where else has Jesus spoken of never being thirsty again? Remember our study of chapter four? This is the woman at the well. So he's using the same picture that if we come to Christ, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts for truth, if anyone thirsts for that eternal life, that salvation that only Christ can give. And we see that here in verses 37 through 39. And just to be really clear, note that he's not saying that he is living water. I think sometimes there is a misunderstanding there and we kind of think like that's like the missing I am statement or something I don't know I am living water that's not what Jesus is saying here so that's just a note of clarification verse 40 when they heard these words some of the people said this really is the prophet others said this is the Christ but some said is the Christ to come from Galilee has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem the village where David was they knew their Bibles but they still missed it. It's kind of like, duh, yeah, he did. He was born in Bethlehem. So these people, they knew, they knew their scripture. You can know your scripture, you can know your Bible, and you can still miss Jesus, believe it or not. Jumping ahead, ladies, verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, have you also been deceived? 
Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Nicodemus starting to come out of the woodwork here, starting to get bold in Christ. And, and I think that's interesting. I love his little cameo here. And now we move into um, verses 53 through chapter 8, verse 11. And um, these, your Bible probably has some sort of note, either a footnote or, or something that indicates that these verses were not in the earliest manuscripts. Um, sometimes it's placed elsewhere. It might have some variations to the story. So some Bibles cut it out altogether. I think it's still an important text for us to read. We're not going to pause on it here today, but this is the story here is consistent with the compassion and love and teaching of Jesus. Um, and it's not just, hey, everybody sins, so it's okay. It's that those last words of this story where Jesus says, go on, go and from now on sin no more. It's that call to forsake your sin, trust in Christ and accept that eternal life that only he can give. So I encourage you not to neglect that story, but just keep in mind that, you know, we do know that it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts in this particular place. So now we're looking at chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So here we are. We go back to this theme of light that John started with, started his gospel with, right? We live in a world of darkness, a world that is dark with sin. And unless we are regenerated by the Holy Spirit and born again, we're enslaved to that darkness of sin. And Jesus frequently, frequently refers to himself as the light. You know, we've already seen it, like we just said, so much through John, this idea, this theme of light. But those who are in darkness, those who are lost in the darkness of sin, they hate the light. So what does it mean here that Jesus is the light of the world? The light of the world, ladies, it shines on the darkness of men's souls and reveals their need for a savior. You can't hide when the light is shining on you. And Jesus revealed the truth about God and men, and that's why he was getting so much pushback, right? And this idea of darkness and light, if we had time, we could go into other places in the New Testament where we see that this is a reference and kind of a description of the believer's new life. As we put off the old and put on the new and we walk as children of light, as Paul said in Ephesians 5. Um, 1 John, same author, 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So Jesus as the light of the world is the only remedy for spiritual darkness, the only way to cause that blackness of sin and death to flee from us. So that's why that is such an important, impressive statement. And I love how John continues to tie these themes together here. All right, ladies, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Okay, side note, you've never been enslaved to anyone? Hello? Israel, Egypt, okay. Anyway, it's like they know their Bibles and then they don't. It's just crazy. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So if we go back to uh, those first couple verses of that section, Jesus is saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If we abide in Christ, it's natural. If we are saved, it is natural for us. We are abiding in Christ. We are producing fruit. And we'll see this uh, in a few chapters in John chapter 15. And the truth of Christ, salvation, grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, this is the only thing that can free us from the bonds of sin. We are slaves to sin, as Jesus says so clearly here, and then so boldly tells them in verses 39 and following, like, oh no, they're saying Abraham is our father, and Jesus says, oh no, no, actually you are of your father, the devil, and uh, that doesn't sit overly well. And so these verses 39 through 59, really, to the end of the chapter here, chapter 8, Jesus is kind of setting them straight in terms of what does it mean to be a child of Abraham. He says in verse 39, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And so being a child of Abraham is not just a matter of genetics, is it? It's so much more, and that's a whole other episode, and uh, we don't have time to get into that today. So... That's chapter seven and eight of the Gospel of John, ladies. Next time, uh, I don't know, I have to look at the schedule. We'll either jump into chapter nine or we'll take a little break from John for a week and do something else and then jump back in. But uh, take some time, dig back through these chapters, dig out the stuff that we didn't have a chance to talk about and just enjoy, ladies. So as an Equipping Eve endorsement this week, ladies, I encourage you to pick up a copy of the book, Why Can't We Be Friends by Amy Bird. This is a phenomenal book. It's very accessible, very easy to read, and Amy addresses some really important topics in this book. I'm so thankful for it. Um, I really appreciate it. It makes me want to read more of her books. Uh, so. I encourage you to get a copy of that if you're looking for something to read. That's my endorsement for the week. And as a parting thought, ladies, Jesus has clearly revealed himself. I mean, this is so clear as we're going through these verses, and he just keeps saying over and over again who he is, proclaiming his divinity. And I just want us to consider, do we know him this way, this way that he has revealed himself to us? Sometimes we can know a lot about Jesus and not actually know Jesus. 
could know a lot about what he taught and not know him. And that's actually why I wanted us to dig into John so that we could get to know Jesus. And I hope you feel like that's happening, ladies. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.